Yeah, I meant to search at the end. Was that like an original song or not? It's was... an original song. I okay. I literally that... Googled it straight after the film because I was so convinced it was something I'd heard before on Eurovision. Yeah, I was I was just thinking, was it like a famous Icelandic song that they are obsessed with? Yara, I've got an answer for you for that because I did find something. Uh, in about 2009, Israel had a song which was called Ding Dong. Maybe that's uh... it. But I listened to it and it's a completely different song because it's got like the sort, uh, the sort of... Uh, trio of female backing singers in the long flowing dresses they're like ding dong yeah, yeah. So, uh, that sort of vibe <laughs> i mean i am none of the things that i just described so i think i can get away with doing that badly Well, good movies! Bonjour, hola, guten tag. Welcome to Well, Good Movies, the podcast that gives you the topics worth discussing and the movies worth watching. I am your host, David Osger, and today we are celebrating all things Eurovision because although we're a movie podcast, thankfully, a Eurovision film has come out, which has given us an excuse to talk about uh, this crazy song contest. I'm joined, as usual, by my co-host, Craig McDonald. Uh, Craig, are you coming live from any specific country right now, or is there, have you stayed in Wales? Orada, David. It's Craig here, <laughs> representing Well Good Movies and the country of Wales. Uh, <laughs> proud to be here today to show you our opinions on Eurovision, the movie. Is this the point where you're going to say, like, what a great show it is? Like, fantastic show tonight, loved it. <laughs> well, I mean, you, we're yet to get to that point, so don't push me. I didn't think you'd be that nice. So, of course I uh, wouldn't be that nice. <laughs> <laughs> Just be thankful I haven't gloated over, like, your big defeat earlier this week. Oh, of course, yeah. Well, <laughs> well everyone's going to be wondering what it is now, so you may as well say it. All right, so David and I entered a Simpsons quiz hosted by uh, Yellow Elephant Productions. And David is a much bigger fan of The Simpsons than me, but he came 66th and I came third. So, yeah. To be fair, though, I think we did the Star Wars one and you said, oh, David is a far bigger Star Wars fan. I would, I'm not sure if you'd say I'm a far bigger Simpsons fan than you. you you're better. You, you are better. You're better the quotes and stuff, though. Just Am because, I, though? Yeah, you just remember things a lot better. People can just go back of previous episodes and hear you quote lines from, like, V for Vendetta as proof of that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Say whatever helps you sleep at night. <laughs> so uh, joining us today as we are using this chance to talk about the Eurovision film that's come out, which is called The Story of Fire Saga, which is out now on Netflix. We wanted to use this chance to not only talk about that, but also music films. So not necessarily musicals, but that genre of films which goes into you know, comedy, satire films, but they can also be films which just have original pieces of music or feature original songs, which are part of the storyline, which aren't so much somebody going into song and dance, talking about their feelings, etc. So uh, she is an expert on both musicals and the Eurovision Song Contest. She's joined us before. It is Kiara. Hello. Hello. Uh, how are you today? I'm not bad, thank you. I'm coming to you from sunny San Stansted in Essex, which is sadly not exotic, but, you know, I'm not <laughs> going to try and do it in an ex Essex accent, because that wouldn't go very well. Well, at least we have the representation of different countries. We've still got, you know, Wales, England. <laughs> yes, and well, I'm half English, half Italian. So, you know, I'll represent both of those. So you've got two of the big five c 
covered. Yeah, exactly. And the Eurovision film takes place in Scotland at one point. So, you know, that, that covers them off. We'll, we'll talk about them later in, in the episode. Yeah. Covers them off? What? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, what takes place in Scotland is just a whole other question. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it's, it's an interesting uh, film to cover off. You know, we've talked in the past about, you know, big blockbusters that have come out, you know, Joker star wars but you know it, it's quite refreshing to talk about this sort of like niche netflix film that's come out but it is you know what film life is like at the moment a lot of these big new films are coming out on netflix or streaming services and this is the newest comedy film that's come out from will ferrell it also stars rachel mcadams and they are sort of two wannabe eurovision entries which then eventually make it into the competition and yeah have their dreams come true and it's sort of this comedy but it's also a commentary and look into what the song contest is like so i think we were all looking forward to it and we're all drawn in by some of the promotional material for it the trailers uh because it is a great chance to sort of riff and parody what's already quite a sort of big event which can have comedic elements to it but also just cheesy things that you love so you know Kiara what's your sort of relationship with Eurovision what is, what is it about the original song contest that, that you love I just well like I say I'm I come from two of the big five Eurovision countries so as long as I can remember it's been a family event in my household that we've got the UK versus Italy that <laughs> will always be in the final and we always have to do a comparison of the songs gotta say normally the UK doesn't come out particularly well from that competition but you know occasionally we have good years like when Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote the song and just I love the crazy that the Eurovision is not about music which is supposed to be easy listening or you know mainstream boring pop I just occasionally you get completely exotic mad things that you would never hear otherwise and also you know I'm a big fan of like you know, glitter and strobe and sparkle and Eurovision always has lots of that. So the crazier the better. Yeah, it's a great chance for sort of people to come together, like you said about like Eurovision parties, people can choose a country and yeah, it's just getting involved in the the tropes of Eurovision, which, you know, it's like you said, you get your crazy songs, you get your your big ballads. It's it's like TV shows and certain film series, you know, fans of Eurovision will be like, oh, you know, there's that type of song and, you know, oh, this country's doing the typical thing that, you know, they do there, etc. You have like the, the politics of it in terms of like countries voting for each other, etc. And, and, you know, elements of that even come into to the newest uh, film. Correct me if I'm wrong. You said about, you said about UK versus um, Italy then. Was it... Occidental Karma was that Italy a few years ago and that they almost won I think with that if it was the popular vote rather than combined with yes yeah, so Italy recently has had a couple of years where they've had really good songs and like I've genuinely been thinking they're on the verge of winning but then the ending always becomes a letdown because some kind of what was it last year that really dull piano ballad that's so dull I can't even remember which country it was and yet it was the good things I always think are going to win and then just at the last minute the judges just have terrible taste and try and bring it back to boring mainstream pop and i don't understand why craig what what's your sort of experience of feelings with eurovision i mean you know me david i just love things which is genuinely insane <laughs> um no i just have good, i just have good fun with it i mean i i've 
spent different Eurovisions uh, over the last 10 years, like doing different things. And it's just in a completely different atmosphere uh, each and every time. So I've had sessions where it's just been watching it individually and just take, trying to take like the sort of analytical approach of just, yeah, I really liked that, that staging element or I really liked the way that, you know, the, the writing of this song like goes uh, crescendos into this one moment. And then just other years, we're just drinking, just being like, this is amazing. Yeah. Kiara said about Eurovision parties we had one a few years ago, and it was the kind of draw a name out of the hat or draw the country who you're going to support. So obviously it was, you know, all the 24 countries or whatever were in the final. And I picked mine. I was like, God damn it. I've picked the UK out. You know, so it wasn't even like I just chose the UK because I was like, oh, I'm British. I'll choose them. Just from random, I happened to choose them. I was like, well, I've lost. <laughs> I still think you placed higher than my country, though. I can't remember who I drew, but I was like, OK, I've got hope. And then when the voting came out and they were just getting nothing for like the first 13 countries, I was like, oh, can't remember. But I have a feeling it might have been Spain. And I was just like, yeah, they've got to be good. And I like, you this song and everyone just looked at me and we were like, oh, no. <laughs> Ever since we were children, we've had one dream. Winning the Eurovision Song Contest. All right, everyone. I am Lars. This is Secret. We are Fire Saga. Who wants to hear a Eurovision song? All of Iceland thinks we are a joke. That's not true. And my father is ashamed of me. No, he's not. He looked me into the eyes and said, I am ashamed of you. Maybe he was drunk. He said, and you might think that I'm drunk, but I am dead sober. Idiot. Officially, Fire Saga will be representing Iceland at Eurovision this year. I hate them. Absolutely terrible. They're old, disgusting people. But we have no choice. So would you say this filled the void in terms of Eurovision? You know, Chiara, what, what was your initial thoughts on it? I know you said you had a lot, lot of opinions on it. What, what did you generally think? This film, I loved it, but I thought it was exactly perfect for being like Eurovision in the sense that it was over the top, crazy. The best bits happen in the semifinals and the ending was a massive letdown. Um, so I feel, in summary, it was perfect for Eurovision. Oh, and the politics was sometimes slightly iffy. Yeah. So, um, in sum, it was the perfect example of a film for Eurovision, but whether that means it was a perfect example of a film, I don't know. But frankly, I don't care because I loved it, and I would definitely, and probably will, watch it again. Yeah, well, that's great. Well, they've done their job there then. So, and yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. That it, it represents Eurovision well, but again, whether it represents a sort of music film or a comedy as well, that's up for debate, I suppose. Craig, what was your initial reaction? I know you'll, you'll be writing the review for this one. Yeah, I'm with Kiara on this. I, I genuinely, I genuinely love this film. I mean, it's one of those things where it's just it's just not a shame to be what it wants to be right just wants to get into the actual craziness of eurovision to the point that they're willing to basically skip over the vast majority of backstory for the characters and literally just set everything up in one scene which is like a kid looking depressed then sees waterloo on tv and it's like that's what i want to do one day and then piers brosnan as the father just like you will never do that 
you'll bring <laughs> shame on the country. And then years later, banned. Um, and it's just like, oh, we have the chance to enter Eurovision. Oh, we've, en- we've got into the national song contest. Okay, we've done the competition. Oh no, the boat has exploded. So we're the only act left. <laughs> but just stuff like, but the thing I find weirdest about this film is the fact that they're trying to go for like the sort of elements of like, absurdity with regards to everything about Eurovision, right? I love that stuff. I love the party where he's basically going around pointing out how contestants are going to do based on where they're from. So basically going, so yeah, that contestant won England's Got Talent. I think we all know why that annoys me moving... No, I'm, I'm going to wait. Like, they did well, a load of research on this reasons, surely, as well. because it's <laughs> Like, they did a... Yeah, it's the United Kingdom for starts. Like, always yeah. was the end. Like, they did the research to get like Graham Norton into this. Bear in mind the fact that like he's only the UK representative in terms of the narration. Most other countries have their own. So at first, I thought it was going to be like a localized thing, so that each individual sort of release would have like the equivalent person. But no, it's Graham Norton for every version that you'd see. So there are loads of people going to be like, he's a UK guy, he's funny, but like don't fully understand or haven't seen him all that much. So they did that, but then they call it England's Got Talent. But anyway, that's that's my pet peeve as a former contestant out of the way. Yeah, just the fact they're doing that. But then they also have things like the the elves that live in the hills and the beautiful fire ghost, <laughs> which led to... Like, I know Kiara said the ending is disappointing. However, one of the jokes with the ghost at the end had me crying for about five minutes because I was just like, this is so stupid. I did love that joke. Yeah, I did <laughs> love it. It was me. Just like, your life is a danger. I know. He tried to kill me like days ago when I dealt with it. Oh, farewell. <laughs> what an unhelpful ghost. <laughs> I was like, how is this normal? But what I loved as well is that one of the things I did before watching the film, um, like you've both seen this, so you both love it, is um, it was one of the years that uh, Sweden was hosting and they basically made their, their song equivalent of how do you make a, a Eurovision winning song? Yes. Uh, love, love, peace, peace. Yeah. Um, I was just watching the film, just looking out for the conventions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so literally when it came to the semi-final, I just went, and a man in a hamster wheel. <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's just amazing. It is true that Love, Love, Peace, Peace is the best Eurovision song, despite not actually being a Eurovision song. Yeah. I, I was holding the film to that sort of standard of like Eurovision poking fun of itself. Love, Love, Peace, Peace is there at the top. So it's like, like you said, Craig, it's, you know, how well can they sort of replicate elements of that song? Talking about the songs, you know, you said, Kiara, what what was your feelings on, you know, because that's obviously a big part of the Eurovision Song Contest. And I think, you know, it's commendable that they did, you know, have original songs and music for this. And it gives them the chance to then spoof the tropes of, of Eurovision. You know, what, what were your feelings on on those? I thought when I, all of the songs that were written for it were amazing and were really, really good at spoofing the tropes. And I was really really enjoying it and then the finale happened Mm. and that's what I mean when I say the ending was a massive letdown because they went through all of this effort to do really really good Eurovision songs and everything was fantastic and then the fact that the how many spoilers are I allowed to do on this the fact that the ending song no yeah I don't mind I don't mind the fact the ending song turned into the standard American 
oh, the film is over. We need a big climactic song at the end to show that everything is happy. And it could have been a straight American pop thing with a few random words by Slandic thrown in. Really cheapened everything else in the film for me because it made it feel like they were going, oh yeah, we had all these tacky songs, but this standard American pop music is really the best, which is the opposite of Eurovision. And yeah, it's the kind of thing that happens at Eurovision when the boring pop song wins. Mm -hmm. But it just from a film perspective, the fact that they were playing that up as the big best song, which should beat everything, was so annoying. Yeah, and, and the fact that the film does also set up the fact that they're two so misfits and everyone's like, oh, they're, they're a joke, you know, they're, they're, they're bringing shame to the country. And the fact that they got through the semi-finals on their actual song surely proves that, you know, people loved that song. So I was like, I actually, you know, I was with you. I was like, I prefer the original song, The Double Trouble. And, and, he, and I even find it strange The Volcano Man isn't actually... Because considering the film opens with that, and that's what they use for the trailer, to me, that seemed the most Eurovision, the whole, you know, Icelandic, they're so like, ho, 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 and, you know, being in the, the elaborate outfits and everything with the Viking helmets, etc. I'm like, why didn't you go with that? I found that a really strange choice to, to even if they were going to, like you said, switch to a more emotional song at the end, I still find it strange that they didn't go with Volcano Man up until that point. Yeah. Hell, I even loved Ya Ya Ding Dong a lot more than I loved the actual emotive song. Yeah, I meant to search at the end. Was that like an original song or not? It's was... an original song. I okay. I literally that... Googled it straight after the film because I was so convinced it was something I'd heard before on Eurovision. Yeah, I was I was just thinking, was it like a famous Icelandic song that they are obsessed with? Yara, I've got an answer for you for that because I did find something. Uh, in about 2009, Israel had a song which was called Ding Dong. Maybe that's uh... it. But I listened to it and it's a completely different song because it's got like the sort uh, the sort of uh, trio of female backing singers in the long flowing dresses. They're like, ding dong, yeah. yeah. So, uh, that sort of vibe. <laughs> I mean, I am none of the things that I just described, so I think I can get away with doing that badly. <laughs> no, I, I did think that as well. When they started singing that in the bar, I was just like, this should be the song. This is, this is a lot better. And I thought that's where the storyline might go. Especially um, considering then like, when you then see them years later and they're still not even playing that song, let alone anything they did for Eurovision, but they're still doing covers of Happy and they're still singing Ya Ya Ding Dong. That says a lot, right? Yeah. I think for me though, I think I I wasn't like you guys and you might know this from the message I sent you, Craig, is that I... I I think you're equivocally wrong in terms of what you said, but carry on. Yeah, well... I didn't love it because I think, again, you know, it might come down to expectations, which comes a lot in these films, which, you know, we'll talk about later. But for me, I wanted more of the madcap uh, Eurovision. I thought, you know, if you got Will Ferrell and Netflix back in this sort of satire film, I wanted there to be more sort of craziness. And to me, they sort of reflected more the pop aspects of the Eurovision Song Contest. So when they were going through the different acts, I wanted to see grandmas with bread and they had pretty much Lordy there, but it wasn't like they were spoofing them. It was just pretty much them. But I wanted to see that crazy kind of love, love, peace, peace-esque. You know, they had a bit of it with the Lion song, the Russian guys, but I felt that that was the only song in which we really got that. And... I think my feelings were kind of summed up in the Guardian's article, which was too timid for satire. I just didn't feel that they went far enough 
with the comedy for me. I just wanted it to be bigger and sillier. And I didn't have any complaints in terms of the storyline. It was well handled. But I felt that two-hour runtime. And, you know, like I said, which Craig apparently disagrees with. But I was sat there looking at the time like, wow, there's an hour and a half left of this. I was like, how? And like you said, when it gets to the semifinals, etc., I think it really picks up. But I just don't know why they spend so long on, on certain areas of it. Yeah, I think it's just where they want to go into the more silly, bizarre aspects of the film. I would have. I wish they sort of did that from the offset. I think more successful sort of comedy films do that from the offset. So because they start with this sort of touching, this is why this guy loves Eurovision, it doesn't then set up the comedy from the get-go. You, the first real you know, example of it is that like thing with the whales. And you're like, that's a funny joke, but I'm not sure if this fits with the tone you've already sort of set up. I just felt that there was a bit too much of the the X Factor pop elements of, of the show that they were just like, oh, let's just get the previous, you know, famous people who are just, you know, good singers, etc., and just show them at the party. And then at the end, it's a big joke because the wheel has gone wrong. And, and yeah, it was just little things started to get on my nerves then because, like, the semi-finals, I was looking at the leaderboard and I was like, why is the UK in the leaderboard? we automatically get through to the to the finals. And they already acknowledged that by saying the Russia, they were like, oh, why are you here? You know, you, you don't perform tonight. But if you look at that leaderboard in the semifinals, the UK was there. I was like, do your research. Well, how do you not know that? Yeah, they really messed up on the details from for a Eurovision fan perspective. I mean, starting with the fact that it was hosted in Edinburgh, yeah. which implies that the UK won last year, which won is okay ridiculous yeah it's true you first imply that we won last year and then you have a joke in about how everyone hates the uk yeah like, just the internal consistency in that 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 was my exact thought as well i was just like the biggest fantasy in this film is that the uk would have won <laughs> in order for us to to get it the next year so yeah i found that strange and then the hosts are not english like or scottish yeah because you host it in the uk and then you have generic accented people from not the UK or generic Eastern European accents for the host. Yeah. See, I completely missed that it was hosted in Edinburgh, so I didn't have any of that critique. Now I'm thinking about it and just like, yeah, that's that's a goof. I mean, yeah, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna punish the film too much for just like the small details. Obviously they are just, you know, inconsistent and irritating. Um for me I thought I thought a lot of the film did rush past, so I didn't feel the two hours. Like it felt quite breezy for me. So yeah, I agree. It might just be the time of day in which I watched it, but I think it's just for me, I just felt that I was like, I want to get to the Eurovision stuff faster. And it was just the fact that they were hindering it so much on their relationship, etc., and so much of it in Iceland. And then the song, you know, the, the committee choosing the song, etc. I was a bit like, do we really need all of this? Could you not do this in like a montage? All, all of this that covered like twenty minutes. Well, no, you also had the rehearsals. It was like, do we? How many rehearsals do we need to see? Again, I feel that they could have got away with just having the, the semi-finals mess up without them being like, oh yeah, they've got a history of like trashing the stage and messing up and and you know that that kind of stuff. Yeah, but for me, that sort of stuff built up their character because like they because they're basically meant to be seen as the underdogs. They're meant to be seen as the God only knows what's going to happen when these people take the stage. Mm. Uh, which makes, even if it's not necessarily the finale we want, the setup for the finale, like that bit more enti enticing because everyone's just like, oh God, what's going to happen now? Because mm. um, nobody thinks 
if it literally only happened on the show of just like nobody's gonna think there's gonna be chaos of another hamster wheel as opposed to in all the rehearsals where like he's up in the wings and he falls down and like all the errors with like the national song contest yeah that, that stuff was fine with me what i didn't appreciate is why they why they decided to pursue that stupid did he did he not sleep with that other act well they had to do that to have symmetry with the um with her not sleeping with the definitely not gay russian yeah yeah for me it was just just so ca- how casually he acted like when sigrid came back into the room the fact that she sees him and basically it what a half naked woman in bed together and he's just like oh hey how's it going it's like oh you like Lars's like complete naivety just wound me up a bit that was one of my favorite aspects was Dan Stevens as the the Russian entry I thought he did a great job and just like his mannerisms and the way he just had that weird gaze at like just like I was looking at him at some point it's like have you even blinked during this scene he just he he really got into the role I thought he was really good um, like he was having so much fun as well. Yeah, exactly. And that's where I just felt that he shined more, say, in that party scene than anyone else. I, I kind of felt it was just what I wanted from it was more like, oh, I, I don't like this whole like, oh, that's them, that's them. You know, it, if you're going to do that, I would have liked that they'd set up the competition a bit more. So for me, as again, as a film, while I didn't really have an issue with the whole like him watching the ABBA with Waterloo, I was like, I would have liked a bit more of them watching it throughout the years and, you know, trying different things. Um, and then when you get, you know, the only way I could think of explaining it is like how they introduce in the Hunger Games when they arrive and they're like, oh, that's, you know, that district and that's that district. I just like the idea of introducing the countries in that way and that, that they could be like showing them on the rehearsal area and one of them is, you know, trapezing through a hoop and, you know, you just see elaborate and weird things rather than just being like in a party where they're all just sat there. I just felt that was just lacked a bit of energy. Oh, but David, we then get the song along, which <laughs> obviously all Eurovision contestants do. Weird. <laughs> that, I, I cringed at that, I gotta be honest. I did, I did hate it low-key, but like very, very low-key hatred. I enjoyed the cameos. The one Eurovision cameo that gets singled out was Salvador, who was just genuinely busking on the streets. Yeah. <laughs> I think and with they... that incredibly dull piano song. Ironically, I think, Yara, when I read up about the film, that was, that was the Eurovision that Will Ferrell like, visited to get an idea for writing the film. So I think that's why it's come into it a lot more, like you said, putting like, these dull piano music. And I think because maybe that year in Eurovision didn't have as many crazy spectacle, weird things going on, that's where it seemed like Will Ferrell had gone, oh, this is what Eurovision is. So to me, again, the film felt like the last two years of Eurovision rather than looking like the last 10, 15 years where you get like the weird Ukrainian, you know, the, the guy which has the star on his head and all that kind of stuff. Does he not have YouTube? Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And, and also one thing I just want to point out lastly is Pierce Brosnan's dodgy Icelandic accent at some point because Rachel McAdams and Will Ferrell went pretty subtle about it i thought they did a very good job but he was literally there like oh you got to go to the boat and the fishing and i was like what are you doing pierce like after mamma mia have you not learned your lesson i don't know will ferrell's accent whenever he started shouting his accent turned irish to the point that i could understand that the character was angry because will ferrell turned irish Though I did enjoy some of the American. Again, I found that it was weirdly placed with the... Again, I saw it more as Will Ferrell, not so much the character. So the whole... You know, when he says, oh, he's grown his first armpit here. I was like, 
this that's a funny joke but i don't see your character being able to make that joke because everyone laughed at it and i was like i thought you didn't like this guy but i did find the stuff with the americans quite funny as well just the fact that he was just berating them especially at the end he had some pretty good jibes thrown at them the starbucks one especially like you can smell this pumpkin spice latte from here and they were like oh is there thank you i was like the problem with it was though was they weren't terrible like okay they were not particularly good yeah but I mean, I don't imagine, or I don't know if it was actually Rachel McAdams singing, but whoever was doing the female singing, whether it was Rachel McAdams or not, she's actually good. So like half of this thing about they're really terrible is even Will Ferrell is not terrible, terrible to like the extent that you're used to on really bad talent shows. They would have been fine. They were just accident prone, yeah. which made the hatred. I, I get what you mean, David. Like it felt a bit weird the way that that was placed was because Mm. everyone's saying they're terrible they're not actually terrible they're just kind of bad at staging yeah or they just are into something that the town is not into so again if they sort of played up the more like like we said about before that they had watched Eurovision all their lives and like the rest of the town aren't interested then you know that might have made a bit more sense but what I was referring to earlier was what you just said is there's an article that says Netflix's Eurovision movie are the cast actually singing because when Rachel McAdams did that last song, I was like, I don't believe for a second that is coming out of your mouth. I thought some of the earlier bits maybe, but by the yeah. end, I mean, the thing is, you never know, because there's a few random actors who are actually singers that then went into acting, aren't there? Although I, I still think that the absolute star of the film and the reason I will happily go back and watch it a couple of times are the quotes from Graham Norton, Jesse's commentary. <laughs> like, it is so perfect a form. It just like, even his bath just his absolute like amazement at like the points being given out i'm gonna have to strongly disagree with you okay strongly disagree there because that was one of the things that i mean i'm still sticking by i love the film but one of the things that annoyed me the most about the lack of attention to detail was graham norton Mm. because i don't believe that he would have like actual graham norton quotes yeah he can occasionally be mean but he's mean in a nice way yeah, and there okay. were bits in that semi-final where everything was going wrong and he was saying things like, yeah, well, we knew they were going to be terrible. This is the worst thing I've ever seen. That's not how it is. Like, it's, it's more of a, a jokey, oh, well, this is quite exciting, isn't it? Or, oh, I wonder if that was a planned uh, stunt when the hamster wheel comes off or something like that. Like, I could have bought that more, but it felt really, it felt like somebody trying to write mean jokes which didn't quite land because they're not properly Graham Norton. Yeah, I, f- I felt that as well. And like you said earlier as well, Craig, because it's weird that Graham like represents the entire competition where, again, you would usually get other countries. So they did just shoehorn him in as the sort of like negative one. And yeah, I didn't feel it fitted with what he usually says, that he usually has that element of, you know, when the intro is playing, he has that. Now this one this is interesting. He's like, brace yourselves because I don't know what this is. But again, it's like, he's not saying it's bad. He's just saying that like, it's bizarre and that that kind of thing. Okay. So yeah, I think, I think it's fair to say it's definitely on an extreme scale, but I think that the way he does comment about it, I don't like, he definitely does have those moments where he tries to like balance it out. The fact that he does basically say like it's always a roll it's always a roller coaster what you get with these guys. And like he does say like with some of the chaos saying like this this is a this is amazing. I I think that when it gets to like the, the point distribution I know I just think at the moments of like point distributions where he's gen just genuinely baffled and just like really? Eight point 
okay, the Eastern Bloc are going for Iceland, apparently. I know, I, I did get involved in those. I, I don't know, maybe it is just I've got a bit of a cruel streak for, behind me, so uh, just it, hearing Graham Norton saying a couple of things like that, maybe you got... Yeah, it's not pure Graham Norton, but like, I was so happy with the comments he was, uh, he was just making. It has terrible attention to detail, and it could have been better, but it was still hilarious, and... I'm still happy that I spent two hours of my life last night watching it. Yeah, people at home, check out Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga. Tell us what you think on all our social medias. And uh, we'll also have a review by Craig on uh, our website, which is freshtakehub.com. But we'll also now talk about some of our favourite films about music. So there's that differentiation, which we've talked about before, of you know, what makes a musical, what makes, you know, a film, you know, which just includes music um, as part of the storyline. But there can be ones that have original songs. Um, they can also be comedies like this film. And it does tend to be not like a massive trend, but there has been a steady stream of them over the past few years. You know, what was some of the ones that come to your guys' mind? You know, that idea of having like, you know, music competitions or original co- comedy songs, the, you know, the spoof, the genre. What, what ones do you think of? I think one of the ones that you and I, uh, David, from a couple of years ago, I think we genuinely really enjoyed just because of just picking up that idea of like the rock, the rock star lifestyle, but trying to mix it against the, how do you keep yourself uh, fresh in like the, the landscape of music and like the industry uh, would be get him to the Greek. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So just that dynamic between uh, uh, Jonah Hill and Russell Brand of just, the sort of managerial type trying to get the rock star to like cope here to, to an actual schedule and try and get his career back on track after releasing a, I think it's fair to say, racially insensitive track. <laughs> Controversial track. <laughs> yeah, and it was great. It was great fun. It was just, it was just a film with like just absolute insanity, like just watching the manager relationship and the fact that they go to Vegas and have just those insane, insane scenes and then just, but like also just the music of it was just genuinely very good. Like there's a lot of songs that like I still listen, even if they have like really clumsy metaphors, like will you come for my bangers, beans and mash. But like, yeah, it was just a really, was just like a really fun film that basically just touched a lot on those elements. And just even like, even just like the end has a nice satisfying conclusion. The fact that the rock star does sort of get his life back on track under direct management of uh, Jonah Hill. And he has that very wall song, which which was good. So yeah, that's like a pick that I would, you know, just generally chat about. Have you ever seen this, Chiara? Or... It not. It no. does sound good though. I will definitely be watching it now. Some some people will always have the reaction of, doesn't it come up as much now because he's not as much in the spotlight, but obviously your, how much you like Russell Brand could come into whether you want to watch it and stuff, etc. as well. But, yeah, there's definitely a lot of elements of cringe comedy to it, so... I think it's also just for me, it stands out because, like you said, when you're talking about spoof songs and parody and original soundtracks, you know, they go all out with that film. And again, it's it's a great reflection of, you know, modern music. So you've got like Rose Byrne's character uh, does like a great job of just reflecting that sort of like ditzy pop star, which the rock star gets obsessed with. Then you get... You know, Russell Brand does a great job of representing that sort of troubled rock star who's been, you know, pushed to like drugs and alcohol and lives a very lavish lifestyle, but then also 
which comes into again other music films where they they've had the height of their career and then they start thinking well i'm in t- untouchable i'm going to release this album uh, which has this great song with you know this this big message and then it's just like oh no that that is awful <laughs> what you've just done but i think it's infant sorrow that does a lot of the, like the the rock music for it um so they do a great job and yeah, I remember us watching that originally and like the clap, that's a great song. Like I said, Fairy Walls is is great. And the way they place the songs in the film, they, they really work with with the moments in in the film. I still can't get over that Jackie O song, which was <laughs> basically this will give you an idea of the sort of parody they're going for with with this. Basically to demonstrate that the the sort of pop star singer's gone like too far in one direction. Uh, namely, which is the sexual sort of genre of pop. She sings a song which was uh, Ring Around My Posy and it's just all of these, all of this talk about Flaga. And literally the, the last line is just, I'm talking about my arsehole. And it's like, oh, oh for wow. God's sake. Oh, wow. <laughs> but mean... it's, it, it comes up once and it's just like, okay, yeah, they're clearly saying like this, this line of music is trash, so I'm perfectly fine with that. <laughs> Uh, that that came up on a list I mentioned to you guys before, which was uh, Clyder did the top ten best bad movie songs that yeah that actually are, are quite good in as far as how bad they are kind of thing. There's also one that appears on there, which is Pop Goes My Heart from Music and Lyrics, which Kiara, I think you you've seen and you said you love this film. Yeah, Music and Lyrics is a good film. That's uh, one of those one of I think the last Hugh Grant rom coms of what I'd call the original genre, Hugh Grant, um, <laughs> as the lovable, confused Englishman. And I just thought it was a really nicely done film in that genre. The Pop Goes My Heart is his back in the 80s, before he was, you know, the serious musician writing music for, for people. It was his, his heyday of where he came from in the music industry. Yeah. And I actually think most of the music in that film is quite good. But um, that particular song was... Um, let's say a very deliberate example of a very 80s neon uh, pop type music. Yeah, there's there's definitely some neck chiefs going on in that, in, in like the just the picture that I've seen. Yeah, so would you say like the music plays a big part of that film as well with like the original songs? Is it more part of the love, like as a, like a love story or is it more for comedic effect? Yeah, so it's a love story um, and effectively Drew Barrymore, that's who it is. Hugh Grant and Drew Barrymore are together writing a pop song for a pop singer where he's doing the music and she's doing the lyrics. And it's kind of part Hugh Grant love story in that, uh, you know, they're forced to work together, but he he discovers her lyrics while she's cleaning his house. And then he forces her to work with him because uh, he thinks her lyrics are amazing for this pop song and he needs to write this pop song um, for this, Singer. And then, of course, they have the, the big breakup is over whether it's going to be an up-tempo pop song or a slow pop song. Um, and then the romantic ending is that he convinces the pop star that it needs to be a slow pop song, not a quick up-tempo pop song. Uh, so it, it's kind of, it's very standard rom-com, but it, it's about writing music, so the songs do play a big part in it. More precisely, I guess, one song plays a big part by having the same song in lots of different versions because it's the song they're writing together. But, you know, yeah. good example of a good Hugh Grant rom-com. Very, like, self-aware. <laughs> yeah. This one, I think, is definitely can't class this as a musical, but we mentioned before it can maybe be confused because it turned into a musical. But it definitely has one or two original songs in it, and that's School of Rock. 
what, what do you guys feel is this as a music film as as opposed to you know a, a musical which are later turned into oh it's definitely a, a music film I, I think it's a great music film mainly because a lot of it is i think because a lot of the film is building up to this idea of creating one single song masterpiece uh you get lots of little musical moments uh throughout it which i think i think is what was needed in order to make that film work because otherwise if you're just getting bombarded with like song after song after song it gets to a point of i'd say you probably get to a point of like fatigue and uh just frustration uh and then to the idea that like the final masterpiece song that's being entered for the competition the, the the battle of the bands competition would just lose all meaning because you yeah. don't i mean because you just see like all of these songs and they, this one song is meant to be special as opposed to just seeing the skill the the, the the students building up those skills and just building up the connection with like uh with the teacher and each other uh which just makes that final performance one of my favorite uh final performances in a film mainly because I haven't seen the film in years. I can remember little bits and bobs of the films uh, of the film throughout, but that final performance, I just remember in such vivid detail, it has the impact. I think as well, it's similar to where we, you know, we've talked before about say Bohemian Rhapsody or Blinded by the Light where people say like, oh, that's a musical. It's like, no, it's just that the music plays a big element to the soundtrack. So in that film, they have like a lot of, you know, Led Zeppelin, The Who, you know, they play like, you know, Substitute and that song he plays with the, the head teacher. Yeah, the, the, obviously because it's then a, a song about him teaching rock and it's so like personal to him, he, you know, that becomes a part, the big, you know, a big part of the soundtrack. And I think that, like you say, Craig, it, it then separates itself in that it does have its own original song, but it works for the film in that it's not like putting multiples in there and it's not like spoofing rock or anything like that. But, you know, and then you have like maybe one song that plays during the credits, but it it's a hell of an original song that they play. And I think it's one of my favorite sort of like original songs from from a film. Yeah, Kiara, you, you also mentioned this film, you know, do you have a lot of like fond memories for it? Yeah, I just think it's a really, it's just a really good film. It's, I think there's some films that do music and do kind of mixing in the music really well. And I just think School of Rock is just a really good example of one of those just nice, family films but when I say family films I don't mean it as a a pejorative like just the kind of film which everyone can enjoy and have something for everyone and I think particularly that one kind of it, that kind of comedy can occasionally go like slightly too cringy which it sounds like is where without having seen it the film you were discussing before Get Him to the Greek sounds like yeah. it's going more on the cringy side with that but I think School of Rock is just a really, it's a, just a really nice film and a really good example of the kind of film that you, you want to watch again a few years later. And I think it still holds up on rewatches. Just a good film. Yeah, as long as it's, it's walking that line and having the right performances. So I think, you know, if they went a bit too far with some of the jokes or like you didn't have, say, Jack Black or, you know, some of the students, you know, the kids who play the students, it might have not worked as well. But like I said, it, it works because... You know, they, they're sort of selling it more. It, it's more realistic that the script knows to, you know, its its limitations to constrain it and make it more of a sort of real story, which I think is great. Yeah, I can't exactly. think of anyone else who could have done that role of kind of mainstream Hollywood people. I think in anyone else's hands, it would have gone either too cringy or too Hollywood. Yeah, exactly. 
And I, I think, like I said, another one that stands out for me, um, which I mentioned I, I'd sort of watched early in the week, was uh, Pop Star Never Stop Stopping, which is the Lonely Island sort of film they did a few years ago. And this gets brought up quite a lot as a sort of like underrated film, one that not many people saw. This is a great example, again, if you want to see like original music, because if you like Lonely Island, then there's a lot of songs in this that you'll enjoy. But this is very much going for the you know, spoofing the Justin Bieber sort of era of pop music and the different weird tropes that you get. And yeah, one one of my favorite songs in that, which I love, and you might appreciate as well, Kiara, because it's got Emma Stone in it. So it's kind of almost as if she's like riffing on her own <laughs> musical career, maybe. But uh, there's a song called Turn Up The Beef, <laughs> which is like exactly how it sounds. Just one of those turn up songs, but then it's just got the word beef in there for some reason. And then it just turns into Andy Samberg, just basically, where, you know, when they, they switch to DJ Khaled or one of those type of people where they then start doing their little chorus, it's just him literally just doing slogan after slogan after slogan after slogan, and they're just completely random. And like, because it's a mockumentary style film, you know, they say that in the film, he's like, I just wanted to get all my slogans out there at once. And, and we just came up with them all in one day. <laughs> and it, it's just, yeah, there's loads of great moments in that film. But, but yeah, that, that's the one that stood out to me. So I haven't seen the film because it isn't available on any streaming services. But I've heard a lot of the songs in it. Uh, so I heard the one he did with Adam Levine, which is like, I'm so humble. Yeah. And it basically, the court, like, it's just essentially just like, I'm hot. I'm humble. I'm like the most humble person there is. Nobody could be more humble than me. I'm, just stuff like that over and over again. Was it performed by Donald Trump? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. But my favourite song in it, and I don't know how to describe the song, is a song called Finest Girl. I knew you were going to say this. <laughs> <laughs> the basis of this song is that this guy has basically found, like, essentially like a woman he thinks is absolutely perfect. Um, and, like, they're basically close in, like, she reveals to him like her biggest like sexual fantasy, which is she wants to, and I quote, be fucked the way that the US government fucked Osama bin Laden. So he literally sings throughout the fuck bin Laden. <laughs> like she basically, they make a load of like allusions between sex and the assassination of Osama bin Laden with things like invade my cave with your special unit. I said <laughs> she wasn't in a cave. Um, and stuff like that. It's just, it's obscene, but it is incredibly clever and funny. We'll now go on to our section, The Movie Vault, because, you know, this gives us a chance now to sort of talk about everything we've discussed today in terms of, you know, what are the best music movies, um, you know, differentiating them from musicals. And yeah, we've had some recommendations, kind of, or like, top films from some other people this week so basically we wanted to capture some of the spirit of eurovision so you know we've had three countries uh you know four if you also can't uh, count chiara like she said earlier she's partly representing uh it- italy uh but we've got three countries yes, which have uh, sent movies. us their messages of the top three films that they uh, think represent music movies well and uh, of course it's done in the style of uh, Eurovision so it's 8, 10 and 12 points Uh, so yeah we've got three countries Uh, it's Ireland, Greece and uh, Norway and uh, yeah so I'll have you guys listen to uh, their recommendations uh, see what you think before we start discussing our thoughts on what should go in the movie vault this week so here is the first clip 
Yasuo, well, good movies. Grace is here to give the th- three biggest points to the three best films about music. Eight points go to Whiplash, as a great mixture of emotional terror and jazz music. And then ten points go to Almost Famous, a great love story about rock and roll. And finally, 12 points go to Inside Llewyn Davis, one of the most depressing films about folk music in America. So yeah, that was uh, Stefanos, who's been a guest on the show before, uh, representing Greece. Thank you, Stefanos. <laughs> in the style of Eurovision, we now go over to Ireland. Gia <laughs> Hello from Ireland. And here are three choices for the well good movies Eurovision extravaganza 8 points go to John Waters original hairspray for showing us how we can fight racism through dance maybe and then 10 points for the Coen brothers inside Lewin Davis a sad funny look at the world of folk music in the 60s and finally 12 points for Robert Altman's Nashville, a wide epic about American country music with one of the greatest endings I've ever seen. Thank you and good night. So yeah, that was Niall who uh, has also placed us in the time of night. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> so we're just like Eurovision where this is a, a night show. Uh, but also reminded me that the Eurovision film did not represent Ireland because I again I was looking at that leaderboard when the UK was in the semi-finals somehow and Ireland wasn't there I was like oh this is awkward yeah they might have been in the other semi-final but... yeah I was really yeah. about to say that true true <laughs> and then our last one comes from Norway so we go over to Tom Hello from Norway. Hello from Norway, the land of the bloody fiddle. Great to be here on the Well Good Movies Eurovision special. Let's get down to it. Our eight points go to Jason Moore's Pitch Perfect for making a cappella a part of our lives. Our ten points go to Mel Stewart's 1971 Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory for making chocolate magical. And finally, our 12 lovely Viking points go to Michael Gracie's The Greatest Showman for giving us a movie filled with anthems. Thank you so much, Europe. Have a good night. Thank you. So yeah, that was Norwegian filmmaker Tom Lagerod there, who uh, hopefully we'll have as a future guest on the show. Uh, Tom is a very funny and great guy. And uh, yeah, I loved his uh, comment there about the fiddle because I know that Tom hates Alexander Rybak with a passion. It's when I when I used to know him at university, they were like it plays everywhere in Norway in every lift in every shopping center. That's all the plays. And I was this just awesome. <laughs> so I was just like you need to mention your love for Alexander Rybak, Tom. And he was just like uh. <laughs> so yeah, what were your guys reactions to Um, our suggestions there, or you know, the top three from from each country. Mostly that most of your guests are breaking your rules on what's a musical versus what is a film with yeah, music. Yeah, exactly. Music I, I did try to clarify music movies, <laughs> but uh, 
you know, I suppose it's down to interpretation. As we said before, you know, I saw a top 10 list of the best musicals, which did include things like Whiplash and <laughs> films that had no right to be in there. So, yeah, it is interesting how people see that. Willy Wonka, I can understand, because I suppose the Oompa Loompas are actually singing it. It's not like they're singing it from their soul. But Grey Showman, that is a full-on musical. So, no, but Willy Wonka is a musical. Oh, yeah, it is. By the like same. Candyman. Like, yeah, you could make an argument. That's all I'm saying. But yeah, the. the... Make an incorrect argument. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Tom, I tried. Hairspray as well. Yeah. Well, that one is the original Hairspray, though, so not the John Travolta. This is the uh, 1980s film, is it? On, like 1970s. So I thought that was quite a good shout because I think it is a case of um, like School of Rock, etc. They use pop music and stuff to sort of complement the story, etc. Yeah, they, you know, Pitch Perfect was mentioned as well because we had mentioned that before because that's kind of another singing competition film. I know Kiara, you you know you you've seen that film. You know what what what's your thought, feelings on it? I like Pitch Perfect. Pitch Perfect one was great. Pitch Perfect two and three should never have been made because oh, they made the same movie three times, and it was it was good the first time. I think it was it was an interesting take on the. Um, freshman in college, I'm, I'm a new student at university finding myself type thing. And at the time, it was a fairly different take on that, because I think it was probably the first one of that whole modern range of movie musicals or movies with music in whatever we're calling them. Yeah, they sort of weren't popular up until I think Pitch Perfect came in, or we'd had kind of a, a long period where they weren't kind of the big blockbuster films. But Anna Kendrick is really good as kind of the, the quirky character that she plays in a lot of things, um, slightly out there, but in a weird, in a very mainstream way. Um, and kind of her fitting into this effectively sorority of a cappella singers is quite, uh, it's a good film. And the music is good. They do lots of mashups and kind of combinations. So even when they're covering things, a lot of the covers are quite different to the original. And there's some quite interesting uh, mashup type combinations. Although I will say that that song with the cups, with the, uh, from the stacking the cups that became everywhere, I then mm. began to hate because, like you mentioned about that Alexander Ryback song in Norway, um, it just became one of those songs that I think for several years was played <laughs> absolutely everywhere and became everyone's background music, or hold music in shops. But yeah, you are right. It did lead to sort of a lot more popularity of acapella, like Tom said. Um, but yeah, those those types of films in which sort a, a jukebox musical esque nature to it as well, in which you know you get songs that you know other other people sort of know. And obviously, Anna Kendrick kind of did that then, even in the animated world with sort of trolls, etc. You know, interestingly, that film as well led to a lot of filmmakers then going, "Oh yeah, they can sing, so we instantly need to put them in a musical," which was kind of to you know good for Anna Kendrick in maybe like Into the Woods, you know, but not so good when you get Rebel Wilson then starts appearing in all the musicals such as Cats. But the less said about that, the better. <laughs> also inspire a specific type of scene, which we then saw again exactly in the, the Eurovision film as well. The mm. bit in the party where everyone breaks out into song and everyone sings along together in a giant mashup. <laughs> that was a That was not one scene from Pitch Perfect. That was half of Pitch Perfect. <laughs> then kind of became a trope in movies in general that suddenly everyone will break out into a song and it will be a mashup yeah. where everyone breaks into a new song whenever they feel like it oh yeah because that happened a lot with me when i was partying with like 
with like all of the guys from like Only Boys Allowed, we'd always <laughs> sing random songs after an entire day of singing. <laughs> like, come on. I blame Glee, really. So I've not seen um, the one that your, your guest mentioned about the folk music in America. Inside Lewin Davis, yeah. But it did make me think of another film we haven't mentioned, which is a good example of kind of that, the music in America where they do the songs well. And uh, that was the Jeff Bridges film from a couple of years ago, which was Crazy Heart, where it was okay. him and Maggie Gyllenhaal. Okay. Um, and it's, it's another kind of romance type film, but it's, it's a very good view of effectively he's an alcoholic country singer in decline. Mm. Now that I'm describing this, it sounds like a star is born, but um, <laughs> yeah. it was far more. It was before that, um, and it's a really good example of kind of the whole trope of musician turns his life around when meets, in this case, girlfriend and girlfriend, single mother with son. Um, and it, it's a good film, and it's a good example of where the music is him performing on stage, so it's part of the film, but then it also becomes part of their relationship that kind of the songs are either for her or, you know, about her. Yeah, because you do get a lot of those sort of like country music films. So you get like Walk the Line and then you get like things like Jersey Boys, etc. where again, it's more about the group or that style of music. So yeah, Niall, I mentioned uh, one in his sort of list and he mentioned as Stefanos did, which was Inside Lewin Davis. And yeah, I saw that come up on the, the list of, uh, the two lists I mentioned earlier. So the list of musicals and I'm like, that isn't a, a musical. That's just, like I said, it's just about folk music. Um, but it does also have uh, one of those bad movie songs. So the one that they uh, mentioned in this list, and this is number one, is called Please Mr. Kennedy. Um, and it's basically where uh, the character, Lewin Davis, again, it's similar to other storylines where he's like a failing musician and kind of like in La La Land, he has to sort of, to get by, he needs to get involved in this project that, is not his style and he thinks is beneath him and it's this sort of upcoming trend of sort of like acoustic poppy indie little playing with the sort of like voice lyrics kind of songs that you used to get in like the 60s etc and you can kind of still get with some like kids music and stuff like that but yeah it's called please mr kennedy and it features justin timberlake in such a weird like role for him but it was kind of around that time he was doing like the social network etc but you've also got Adam Driver, who I didn't realize was in this film. And uh, to to you guys and to anybody at home, if you've not seen Inside Lewin Davis, just watch this song because I will never look at Adam Driver seriously again. He is so weird. He's doing basically the like, you know, we're singing and I'm going to do the weird sound effects role of this song. And I was just like, wow, I cannot take you seriously. This is so weird to see like Kylo Ren and, you know, the serious father from, you know, Marriage Story <laughs> doing these weird like sound effects. Like he's from like the Wiggles or something, you know, one of those like sort of groups is such a strange thing to see. But but it is similar to things like, you know, Whiplash and stuff showing the journey of like, you know, a character who's trying to get perfection and, you know, gets frustrated with the industry they're in, etc., um, you know, it's very sort of Coen Brothers and it, you know, it's a, it's a like I said, it's a sort of depressing but bleak depiction of, of that music genre. So I think it is a good shout for music films. And I think it definitely is a contender for the movie vault in, in my mind. 
any other ones you think that definitely for in terms of what should go in there i'm happy to support pitch perfect if only because of how much of a cultural phenomenon it becomes whether or not later entries deserve to be seen um i'm happy <laughs> to just leave that up to personal opinion but yeah can I we think... specify pitch perfect one yeah we mentioned before that this is spinal tap is very much one that a lot of people would mention but i think that is so culturally relevant and they did a lot for the comedy scene and sort of mockumentaries and so just comedy in general and they start this entire thing i think that would maybe come into a different conversation because we're talking about some more modern movies so i think inside lewin davis is definitely obviously that was the one that came up like twice and then pitch perfect came up with with tom and then some of the other ones like says whether you can consider them sort of music movies etc but probably school of rock i think is the one that does stand out like Kiara said because it is just such a perfect film yeah definitely yeah it does what it says on the tin with school of rock i think can i also posit i think fire saga should go to the movie vault oh <laughs> i'm yeah i mean let's be fair it basically does exactly what we wanted it to in some ways i think given the fact that two of the three of us have basically said that we would happily revisit it. And I can imagine around any Eurovision, near Eurovision, I can imagine it's being incredibly popular. You're going to lose this fight, David. I can see I the look know, on your yeah. face. No, yeah. I, I'm like, I'm still to be convinced. And it's like in my head, I'm like, I use the joke argument of like, oh, we'll give it time. It's only new out. But like, yeah, I don't think the story of Fire Saga is going to go any further than like this year, unfortunately. But I don't I, know. I think it, it could become a cult hit. Like, True. Although I think, I think it has its problems and the attention to detail is not there, which mm. I think we discussed at length. Mm. But despite that, it's another example of a film, I think, doing what it sets out to do. And it's a film about the craziness. And because it's not really been made by somebody who is quite as um, embroiled in the craziness as us, mm. I think it can look a bit, we can see the flaws in it. But I think as a general example of something that's trying to show what Eurovision is to Americans, I feel like it's a pretty good example of that. Also, it was hilarious and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, like I said, I, you know, I, I am happy enough for it to go in just on the, the aspect of like the knife joke and the fire ghost <laughs> joke. You know, they were, they were great. Like if, if two or three of like these Eurovision fans believe it should go in, then like I said, I'm just, you know, outnumbered. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to concede that. I think as well, it comes down to the idea of just how much would this make me intrigued about Eurovision if I've never seen Eurovision watching it? I think mm. even if it is tame, there are elements of it which I think people would be like, yeah, if if some of what actually happens here happens, it's worth checking out. Do you think we're settled on Pitch Perfect, Eurovision, School of Rock, and Inside Lewin Davis? Or? I think at the end of the day, given the fact you asked a wider range of people for like their opinions, I think it's justified that we them. put... Yeah, I think it's justified yeah. that we put in more films than we usually do. Yeah, that's true. Okay, then, so yeah, so going into the movie vault this week, then, is Pitch Perfect, Eurovision Song Contest, A Story of Fire Saga, School of Rock, and Inside Lewin Davis. Into the movie vault you go. And, uh, yeah, tell us at oh, home what guys, you feel. We forgot about yesterday. <laughs> oh, no. Whatever will we do? <laughs> Yesterday, all my problems seem so far away. I wish I could forget about that movie. Oh, <laughs> uh, hope you're listening, Cullinane. Okay, end game time. 
So not much of a lead up for this one, because I think given the fact we're talking a lot about music, I think it's clear this is going to be a musical based endgame. Uh, so just to let you know that this endgame is called uh, Canzoni in Diversi Lingue. Canzoni in Diversi Lingue. Yeah. So Chiara, what's the name of this endgame? <laughs> Which means, because David has no clue. <laughs> Songs in different languages. Songs in different languages. Okay. <laughs> Very simple. So basically what I've done is I have tried to find a variety of songs that are in films in different languages. Some of them are natively of that language. Some of them are translations of other songs. Uh, so it may not necessarily be done by the actual cast of the film, but it's just a, it's just a version that I could find. At which point I would like to quickly voice my absolute disgust at the fact that no one has uploaded onto the internet anywhere the soundtrack for Greece in Greek because that wound me up because I was going to keep all of these thematic I was going to be like oh so it's from a French film so it's obviously going to be French oh it's a Polish film it's obviously going to be Polish I couldn't because I couldn't find a Greek version of Greece so some of them I've taken some liberties with basically what do I want from you guys so this isn't a fastest, uh, fastest finger first. So Kiara, you don't have to worry about uh, being beaten out uh, to the buzzer uh, like with the last game. What I basically want people to do is I want you to message me the name of the song, if you know it, the language that is being sung in, if you know it, and the film that it is from. So each individual song, it's only about uh, 20 seconds of each clip, roughly. Uh, gives you a maximum of three points. Okay, are we ready for clip number one? Yes. A reminder, these aren't necessarily recordings from the film itself. I'm going to put this down to stunned silence because throughout that entire clip, nothing was sent to me. I'm really annoyed. Like, it's really familiar. I swear I've seen this film. I think you have seen this film. Okay, so we'll start with Kiara's. So Kiara has mm -hmm. gone for, can't remember, damn it, I know this, Portuguese. So in terms of the name of the song being can't remember, in terms of the film being damn it, I know this, in terms of the language, yeah, it's Portuguese. I can actually visualize this song being sung in the film, which is why I'm sure that I've seen the film, but I know it's Portuguese. Just cannot for the life of me think of which film it is. You're going to kick yourself. <laughs> yeah, because David's got the film right. David, what's the film? Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga. <laughs> It's when they first... So, the busking scene. We even mentioned the busking scene. <laughs> it's, the song, it's the song that won Eurovision, the, the horrible piano-y song that you really don't like. When they arrive in Edinburgh, their player is playing over when they arrive in Edinburgh and then they find him busking in, in the park. The last thing to clarify is David says the song is called La Amour, which is... The song is Amar Pelor Dois. Uh, I knew there was like... AM somewhere in there. Yeah, just uh, just not where you claimed. Okay, song number two. 
I'd like to remind the guests and not give anything away to each other. <laughs> okay, interesting. So you have both gone for... I'm going to be charitable to David slightly because he's missed out two words of the title. Kiara has called it, Do You Hear the People Sing? David has just called it, Hear the People Sing, which mm. I guess removes the question element, but you're both correct. Uh, you have both claimed it's from uh, Les Miserables, which is... Here's the interesting part, is what languages you thought it was. Kiara, what language was the, the, the song sung in? To be honest, I could not hear a word of it, so I guess that you probably went for French, given that it was Le Miserable. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah, which is... Yeah. Uh, as opposed to David's version of it being Russian. Well, that matches with Kiara's explanation of, I couldn't hear what was being said, so I just thought... <laughs> oh yeah, one thing I forgot to mention is that I may repeat languages. Okay. I don't say it because the next language is one you've already heard, but just bear in mind. Uh, but... Here's clip number three. So there's some interesting context behind this one, which I'll go over in a bit. But for now, let's just see how our bold competitors deal with the music. Okay. So, titles of the song. In the same way that I was charitable to David for missing out two words, I'm going to be charitable to Kiara for missing out one letter. <laughs> so, you have both gone for Son of Man, which is correct. Being from Tarzan, which is correct. So the languages. David has gone for Finnish. <laughs> Kiara has gone for German. Oh. I think I'm going to have to admit something here. Yep. I was not going for Son of Man. I, I have oh, right. no idea what the song was called, so you'd probably better take a point away off me. <laughs> I just speak German and I heard it go, so ein Mann, which means so, such a man. Oh, I so see. That was I, totally mean, I, I could. But David also answered finish in one of my end games, uh, which is a disastrously bad decision, David. <laughs> well, I kind of knew it was one of those like harsh languages. So that was my thought process. Yeah, I'm willing to say that Kiara should still get the point on the basis that I listened to that last song. Yeah, you're going to you're going to take the title from the lyrics. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the spirit of the song anyway, it's about basically, you know, like essentially being human, right? So I don't think so a man and son of man are that different because they both basically mean the same thing in that context. So what's the relevance of German? Oh, there isn't. Um, oh. That's why I said, that's why I'm so angry at the Greek. Oh. Um, basically, uh, so I found a video, which is basically Phil Collins sung this entire song in different languages for different verses. Right. So there's one in French, Italian, Spanish, English, German. Uh, so it was basically, which one did I like? Okay, number four. I will probably say I think this is the hardest one in this game because I only heard of it this morning. So listeners at home, what's your favourite saying with the word I in it? Uh, 
Not uh, I as in I, I as in A-Y. So like I Carumba. Let us know. I, I'm genuinely really interested. Uh, I know that David's too busy to read and respond, but I, I, I'm joking. He does a lot. I, I'm, I'm an imposter. I kind of know this is wrong from what you said, but I was like. So let's get the let's get the easy one out of the way. You both think the language is Spanish. You are both correct. Right now for the interesting stuff. So uh, David knows that this is wrong because he's gone for Lamour from Coco, which is. So I was going to choose something from Coco, but they all had some English in the songs. Right. Even I even tried to find all Spanish versions, but it came up short. So Kiara has uh, has claimed this is from the Eurovision film, uh, which is. I'm assuming this is a a random stab at the song title, Mi Corazon. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like the kind of thing he was saying Mi Corazon a lot in it, so I figured yeah. maybe that was the title. <laughs> Uh, I think that's a fair shot. The rules don't, but you, you've argued we should have taken away a point from you anyway, so that was that. So this was actually a song called uh, uh, Campion del Mariachi from the film Desperado. I'll offer a bonus point. So the actor singing it is natively Spanish. Can you guess who that actor was? Okay, so you've gone for uh, different answers. Uh, and by different, I mean one of them I'm not sure if I've heard of. Hmm. Uh, David has gone for Diego Luna. <laughs> Who? It's the guy in uh, Rogue One. Ah, I see. Uh, Kiara has gone for Antonio Banderas. Oh. God. Yep, it's genuinely Antonio Banderas. He's a really good singer. He's in Evita, which you still haven't seen, Craig, and you need to see. I, 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 I know I do, but we still need to actually set aside a date to actually watch that. And it's gen- he's genuinely Spanish, whereas I think Diego Luna is Mexican. <laughs> yeah, don't be racist, David. Or we will deduct points. <laughs> Number five. <laughs> So listeners at home, what's your favourite look of puzzled confusion? Because I've got a few and they're coming from both of our guests right now. (laughs) This is the one that I actively wanted only in this language and I'm so glad it actually exists. Cool. So, Kiara, Mm -hmm. you've gone for the one with the horses. What? I just realised that's the name of the songs. Because uh, you think that the film is Anastasia, which is... But, because of your logic, you have got the language right. So the, the logic went the other way round. I yeah. knew it was Russian. Oh, then I when see. you said it was something you wanted specifically in Russian, I therefore was thinking of filming it in Russia and the only thing that came to mind was Anastasia. And the only I thing I could remember about Anastasia was there was a song with horses. Therefore, my guess was the song with the horses. Okay. David, however, thought the film, uh, the song was in Polish, which is... David thinks that this is the song The Hanging Tree from Hunger Games. Which is correct on both of those fronts. Yeah. yeah. For some reason, I wanted a Russian version of the Hanging Tree song from Hunger Games. Because it was a revolutionary song, I thought Russian Revolution. Yeah, that makes sense. Moving on with my life. I thought you were just going for so like, because especially Mockingjay Part 2 kind of looks 
which now I realise kind of looks Russian, you know, with the capital is all like grey and dilapidated. But in my mind, I was thinking like, oh, Poland kind of has that like grey look to it. <laughs> and it might have just not helped that I watched like Eurotrippers on TV the other day and it was that bit where they get off the bus or the, the truck and they're in Poland and it's all grim. Poland oh, is yeah. lovely. Like Poland is... Yeah, Poland is fine enough. It's like I... just not represented well in certain films. <laughs> I mean, yeah. But some of the smaller cities in Poland are really great. So I've spent quite a lot of time recently in Poland for work, and this is totally off topic of the podcast. No, no, that's cool. Uh, but I strongly recommend if you go to Poland, go visit Poznan, which is a tiny little city, and then you can walk across it in fifteen twenty minutes. It's absolutely beautiful, and it was completely rebuilt after the war, so it looks all really oldy, worldy but it's all actually um, fairly modern, but they've built it in an older style. And it's generally lovely city. Okay, so with two questions left to go, the scores are looking quite tight. Uh, how tight? I won't say. Uh, clip number six. I know the song is wrong, but I'm just going with what it sounds like to me. <laughs> We're starting with David's. Okay. <laughs> First of all, let's start with the language, because I think that's the most charitable thing. So you have correctly yeah. identified that it's German. However, you believe that the film is Breakfast at Tiffany's <laughs> and that the song is Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. <laughs> I was just like, it sounds a bit like it. I'm just going to choose a random old film to go along with it. Um, so, Kiara, I can happily say you got all three correct. Oh. So, would you like to tell David what this is? I, I recognised it was Gemma's, and I couldn't remember. It was definitely from one of those musical films. And it's from the producers. And I was guessing at the title because I couldn't remember the title of the song, but it's called Have You Heard the German Band? Hence well, the German. the German, well, the same name of the song is that, but in German, which is what was sung literally what you heard. Okay. So it's literally uh, Haben Sie gehört das Deutsche Band. As soon as I heard it, I thought this might be the producers. I was like, Dad, I haven't seen the producers, so I don't know if it is or not. So that's why I was just like. <laughs> All right, bonus, uh, bonus point. Who is that singing? I just know they're in the film, so... Oh, oh there you go, that's his German equivalent. Zeke. <laughs> <laughs> Neither of you got uh, got the bonus point. Uh, it was our friend Will Ferrell. Oh. Really? Yeah. Will Ferrell. Oh, yeah, I remember he's in that now, yeah. I forgot he was in that. Yeah. Um, basically, that's the scene where they're auditioning for actors to play Hitler, and he loses his mind because everyone's playing him too camp. So he just gets up, sings the song, and everyone's like, that's our Hitler. Ooh. Yeah. My favorite, my favorite story about the producers is that I have a couple of friends who are like musical fans, and they were going, they, they were spent a, a weekend in Aberystwyth. And they were driving back, and they had a, they had a girl with them because uh, they were going to the same town. And she's from Austria. Crucial fact number one. Crucial fact number two. Never heard of the producers. So they're singing, they're, they're playing Springtime for Hitler in Germany. And oh. she's like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> What's wrong with you people? What is this? <laughs> okay. All right. Time for the final clip. Are we ready? Yes. 
home what's your favorite bad audio clip uh i think mine <laughs> i think he hit that that note that they said in the eurovision film wasn't it the like what was it called the sprite and dying or something where they <laughs> the mythical note in that film we have an answer for kiara oh we have an answer from david <laughs> <laughs> all right so both of you say it's when you wish a pop star Both of you say it's Pinocchio. David, what language did you claim it was? Icelandic. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and here comes the kick yourself moment. Kiara, what's the language? Alien. Uh... (laughs) You know, that famously Italian story. Yeah, as you said, I was like, I was like listening to it, thinking more, listen to the language. And I was like, but there is madness. There is method to my madness. I thought, I was like, this doesn't sound. This doesn't sound no. Italian. To it did not sound Italian. Yeah, no, it wasn't so much that. I, I, I was, I couldn't, I did, I didn't remember that Pinocchio was Italian. So I was thinking, what are the reasons? Like dis- Pinocchio. Yeah, but there was another re- the, uh, the only other reason I thought a language might be put in here rather than linked to the film was obviously the Eurovision film. They're Icelandic, so I thought maybe that's why you've done it. I see. Uh, no. Similar to the tar- Tarzan logic of just. <laughs> I would like to say I love the little caveat that was put in Kiara's answer, which was in brackets question mark barely. <laughs> <laughs> It was just really hard to hear with all of the like terrible vibrato what words he was actually saying. Yeah, yeah, that that's my reason as well. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Okay, so at the end of that, um, with a fairly decisive score of fifteen to eleven, uh, Kiara is our winner. Yeah. Amazing, especially considering how much I embarrassed myself last time I played on your podcast and tried to do one of those. You didn't embarrass yourself. It's just you were up against two other people, which you know, famously. <laughs> you definitely didn't want to fail on languages and songs against me. <laughs> so I, I did have a tiebreak question lined up just in case, which I'll ask you guys for fun. Uh, how many former Eurovision contestants actually starred in uh, Story of Fire Saga? Because mm-hmm. I actually counted. 12. I'm going to guess 27. Okay, thank God that wasn't part of the end game because uh, mm. David was much closer. It's eleven. <laughs> oh, literally one off. So, really? okay, so, yeah. I'm surprised it's they... that low, actually, given how yeah. many ex Eurovision singers there are. And you'd think yeah, you'd I... want to maybe get in some old old people in there as well. Some classic. I think it's because they mostly appear in that party scene. They want to make it look as as close to the modern day as possible, especially yeah. ones who would be, you know, having a party like that. But are you telling me you didn't count every time Abba appeared as four extra? Because then I think I'm closer. Uh, well, yeah. Thank you, Kiara. Well done on winning your Endgame today. Uh, thank you for joining us. Like I said, I would say follow you somewhere, but I think it's just <laughs> don't follow <laughs> me anywhere. I don't exist. 
<laughs> Find her in Poland at the undisclosed cafe where she will congratulate you on on completing your mission of going to <laughs> you listen to the clues and <laughs> uh, so yeah thank you for joining us as usual it's always been fun talking uh, music films or musicals and uh, yeah I think uh, it's been a very entertaining episode the Eurovision film was a nice uh, change of pace to what we've been used to and uh, yeah it's been lots of fun uh, any last things from yourself Craig? Nil Pois UK <laughs> <laughs> Because the film said it so. In, in <laughs> fact, in this universe, UK is so bad, they've gone to the semi-finals. <laughs> also won. Yeah. They also won the previous year. But yeah, everyone at home, check out Eurovision Song Contest, the Story of Fire saga. Let us know what you think on all our social medias. You can catch us at Well Good Movies on Facebook and Instagram. And you can also catch us at freshtakehub.com slash wellgoodmovies. And uh, yeah, we'd be interested to know what your favourite music films are. So whether that's biopics, films about musicians, or just happens to include a very kick-ass soundtrack like Blinded by the Light or <laughs> and, uh, School of Rock, as we previously mentioned. And obviously check out all our entries to the movie vault this week, which were School of Rock, Pitch Perfect, the Eurovision film, and Inside Lewin Davis. Thank you for joining us again, Kiara. And uh, we'll catch you again soon. Bye-bye. Bye, all. Bye.